it's like a cleaning service. When you cause a mess by <laughs> emitting greenhouse gases and you uh, contribute to the climate crisis in a negative way, this is a way to try to counterbalance that neg negative impact that especially companies, but why not individual consumers as well, have. Welcome to the Urbanista, where we discuss the water management challenges of Nordic cities. From safe drinking water distribution and stormwater collection to building sustainable urban living environments. Here is your host, Delphine Vesalo. Hey, welcome back, Urbanistas. You know, the other day, I was booking a flight online, a business trip, and uh, I was in the airline website, and right at the end of the process, where I was checking out to pay for, for, for my ticket, I see this prompt by the airline website telling me if I want to pay to offset the carbon footprint of my flight. Hmm, what's this? Like, what is carbon offsetting? So why should I do this? I just kept thinking, and carbon footprint reduction is, is on the agenda of many companies. But more often than not, they aren't sure where to start. And our guest today has one option. So who are you and what do you do? Hi, everyone. My name is Niklas Kaskela. I'm the Chief Impact Officer at Compensate. And Compensate is a Finnish carbon offset service provider like uh, like we just uh, just was mentioned, uh, we work in the voluntary carbon market, where especially companies are are taking responsibility for those emissions that they cannot completely avoid or minimize. So there's so much conversation around carbon emissions, carbon footprint reduction, and uh, yeah, as I said, more often than not, uh, the people get lost in these technicalities. They may not understand fully the science behind it or what is. Yeah, what is behind all this thing? So, Niklas, what exactly is carbon offsetting? Yes. So, carbon offsetting is a way to take responsibility for those emissions that you can't completely avoid or minimize yet. Obviously, the solution, number one solution to the climate crisis is to decarbonize and radically reduce emissions. We need to reach almost zero emissions as, as soon as possible. But uh, every day, you and I, all companies around the world are still causing or are um, causing greenhouse gas emissions. So carbon offsetting is a way to take responsibility, try to counterbalance those emissions by supporting projects that either sequester or remove carbon from the atmosphere or maybe um, support emission reductions in some other way. And these are activities that happen beyond outside the value chain of companies. So it's kind of a service that you can purchase from uh, different actors um, to kind of, uh, it's like a cleaning service. When you cause a mess by <laughs> emitting greenhouse gases and you um, contribute to the climate crisis in a negative way, this is a way to try to counterbalance that neg negative impact that especially companies, but why not individual consumers as well have. Um, it's a very small uh, market, still but it's growing very fast at the moment because especially companies who are setting climate targets like carbon neutrality or net zero realize that they will not reach these targets only by emission reductions even though that's always the primary way to do try to reach these targets there will still remain some emissions uh, that they need to counterbalance in some way or the other 
So basically, I think in this point of the climate crisis, we have reached the point where emission reductions alone are not enough. We also need to take responsibility for those emissions that we're causing today, tomorrow, the year after, while we try to decarbonize radically. So if I, if I try to unpack a bit this, so we are uh, any given company uh, that has a production activity, an industrial production, or anyway, any type of economical activity, uh, as long as you produce something and you use, well, a truck or something to transport that good, that product somewhere else. So all those activities are the ones that, of course, are creating, uh, um, are sending um, um, emissions to the atmosphere because, well, that's how the, the production works. So we are, as a company or any given company, is releasing this carbon, this, this pro producing these emissions. And uh, as much as the companies want, okay, they want to use green energy or green electricity, they want to use not uh, for transportation, not um, fuel or fossil fuel trucks, but electric trucks perhaps. Or So that is all good. But what I am understanding here is that that may be not enough. There's still some uh, emissions, some type of footprint from that, from that company that, well, I don't know if uh, at some point they may arrive to the net zero, ideal net zero. Uh, but if not, then that's when when the carbon offsetting comes into place. Somewhere in some other part of the city, the country, or the world, maybe uh, a project or an initiative that is trying to reduce or compensate, that you will compensate those carbon carbon emissions. So is that, if I cannot reduce on one side of my company, cannot reduce my carbon emissions, then I I can do that by pairing or by working together this other initiative, project, NGO, or I don't know. That's how it works, correct? That it just to balance both things. Yes, although I would emphasize still that it's not a substitute for emission reductions. It's something that you do beyond emission reductions. Um, all companies should try to align their emission reductions according to climate science and the 1.5 degree goal mm -hmm. of the Paris Agreement. Then offsetting is a way of going beyond that. It's a way of taking responsibility for those emissions that you're still causing in the near future. And in the, you know, in the future, even reaching net zero or carbon neutrality will not be enough we will need to be carbon negative quite soon as well. Um, um, so we need to remove a lot of excess carbon from the atmosphere and offsetting or the voluntary carbon market is a way of doing that. If I, if I give you a, uh, an example of mm -hmm. how to frame the situation where we are now, imagine the Earth's atmosphere as a bathtub and uh, greenhouse gases in the atmosphere are the water running into that bathtub. Now, we have had the tap on in that bathtub. The water has been running for centuries and decades, resulting in a situation where the water level is already dangerously higher. It's actually overflowing, going above uh, the, the limits of that bathtub. The same thing with the atmosphere. We have surpassed safe levels of greenhouse gases, of CO2 concentration in the atmosphere, already back in 1987. So that's quite a long time ago, and we're still adding every single day more carbon dioxide and more greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. And uh, emission reductions is basically you turning the tap 
a bit uh, down the tap a bit, uh-huh. but but the water is still running. What we need, we would need to turn the tap and close it completely, but that's impossible in today's society. So we also need to take out the the the, the, the drain out the excess water by taking the plug out from the bottom, and that is what um, carbon offsetting, when it's done properly, can do. Is that you can also um, try to sort of remove some of that excess carbon dioxide that we have already added to the atmosphere and that we're adding uh, every day, while at the same time we try to reduce uh, those emissions. So it's a way of like a more holistic way of taking responsibility for the climate damage that we're all causing right now. So in a way, I I, I would really want to emphasize that it's never a substitute for closing that tap Mm -hmm. or reducing emissions. It's something that we have to do in addition to that. So as the, as you said, it's, it's not a substitute. The companies are good to go with all their carbon footprint reduction programs, whether they will eventually really get to zero or negative or not. But it's a matter of time, which we do not have time. This 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 time is or, or the clock is ticking, and in order to should we say in order to speed up or in order to recompensate all these a process that we humans provoked, or as, as you mentioned already, we were running to the tipping point already many years ago. This releasing the, the, the tap from the other side of the of the bath tube. Um, so that is, that would be one of the most efficient things to do, to release. And then how does that unplugging or, or releasing that tap from, from the other side, which are, which is, which are these other projects, companies, NGOs, or how does that work? that yes. plug in the, or, or pulling the plug in the other side of the bat tube. Yeah. So um, there are thousands of projects around the world that produce what are called carbon credits mm-hmm. that can be bought by these uh, companies who want to offset their emissions or also individuals, like you mentioned, the flight compensation in the beginning of the podcast. Although I, I have to say that most airlines, the way they provide these services, it's pure greenwashing because they don't uh, calculate most of the emissions uh, of flying or they exclude them. And also the actual offsets that they use are very flawed and, and uh, it's, it's, it's pure greenwashing in most cases. But anyway, the, um, the uh, mechanism is such that you have projects around the world that create these carbon credits uh, by, for example, sequestering or removing carbon from the atmosphere by, by afforestation or reforestation. Uh, protecting mangroves, even uh, blue carbon projects that are, are using kelp, growing kelp to sequester carbon, etc. There are different ways. There are these nature-based solutions, like I just mentioned. Also, some engineered approaches like direct air capture with machines or technology, direct air capture of, of carbon and storing it. Uh, so these projects create these carbon credits that then can be sold to companies and when these carbon credits are retired, that means the company claims, the company that has bought them claims that, hey, we have counterbalanced our emissions by using these carbon credits. Um, so in theory, very the payment, simple. So that's how the payment goes. Um, or ideally, in one, on from one side, since I, I'm not able to reduce this, this, this amount of carbon footprint, so I paid and that money, that's how the payment goes or works. That payment goes, to the other side to finance or to help these projects, this this and that's how however the credits are calculated. But that's how the payment 
actually work or the money matter works to finance those projects? Well, not really finance. It's more like they buy a certificate from these projects, a carbon credit that is proof of a certain climate impact that that project has had. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's what we call exposed. So it means that the climate impact of that project has already taken place and they have been able to prove that. And it has been audited and verified by third party, uh, 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 independent third parties. And then they have uh, produced this carbon credit that then can be bought by the company. How so are these carbon credits calculated, is there, so how do you have any, any example of, and actually because in, in the example that I, I put up, that's a real thing that when I was booking my, my flight, actually the airline was offering you which project there you go, do you want to help to support with your payment? And it, it was this village in India, in rural India, where they are promoting the use of natural gas instead of burning coal or, I mean, for cooking in the village, in the houses. So they support the use of, of natural gas. Uh, at, at least in theory, that was the, the project where, well, my money should go to offset. But on that side, how these credits are calculated, how you come up with these credits and, and the value they have in, in money? Well, first of all, I think they're using biogas, uh, natural or gas, sure, yes. the ter term used for fossil gas, even though it's very misleading. Yes, sorry, yes. Uh, uh, um, and, but uh, yeah, I, I know this project type and it's actually extremely problematic uh, in the, uh, as, as, as a project that creates carbon offset credits. Uh, but let me give you a more simple example and maybe we can get back to why these um, biogas projects are problematic. Um, a simple example is, for example, the uh, reforestation of degraded lands, where we um, a project plants trees that sequester and store carbon. And after the greens have, trees have grown a certain amount uh, through different methodologies, we can calculate how much carbon they have sequestered and stored. And thus a third party, uh, independent third party comes to the project and verifies that there are certain amount of trees and with certain emission, uh, like carbon um, uh, uh, curve factors, we can determine how much the climate impact of that is. And that this project can create these carbon credits. It sounds very simple, but in, in reality, it's much, much more complex. And uh, the sort of main um, quality characteristic of a good carbon project, offset project is that it's additional, which means that it wouldn't have taken place uh, in any, in, in like as business as usual, the per, the purchase or the, the, the purchase of the carbon credit really has to impact that project. So it shouldn't have taken place in any way, any way because of like policies that are in place in that country or that because it's uh, economically viable already, or it's a good business case. Like there are uh, projects around the world that create carbon credits from uh, supporting renewable energy, for example, but renewable energy is already so one of the, it's already extremely competitive and most countries in the world, it's more competitive than uh, fossil energy. So uh, creating carbon credits from such projects is not additional because these projects would take place anyway, even without selling these carbon credits. It's just the way of making them perhaps even more profitable than they were uh, 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 earlier. They, these projects might've been additional 10, 15 years ago, but not anymore today. So as a buyer of these carbon credits that we, you need to be very vigilant to understand that 
a lot of the credits available on this voluntary carbon market are in fact not creating any additional or real climate impact that wouldn't happen anyway. So, so maybe that's went, where, yeah. where the perception, because I'm, I'm realizing that this may be just a, a perception game of the greenwashing. Okay, one element is okay, pay. I mean, using money is like just to keep my, my conscience, <laughs> my soul in peace because I pay and I'm, I'm happy with that. Uh, that's one element which may be misunderstood. But then when you mentioned in the other side, those projects that are not really really, I mean, with the math, they are not really um, uh, helping. As you said, they will have already anyway, with my payment or not, or with the money of, of whoever is paying, they will anyway keep carrying on and uh, not really upsetting anything to the atmosphere. So is, is the, this is the game, or how do you interpret this greenwashing perception? Because that's what I'm thinking is, is very easily perceived as greenwashing or blaming you, I don't know, someone that doesn't understand exactly how this works, they may immediately point you like, no, this is greenwashing. So how do you deal with this kind of pushback or this rhetoric? Um, I, I agree with most of it uh, because that's, that's the case. Um, when it comes to the projects, Compensate has evaluated, we have created our own criteria to evaluate these projects that create carbon credits. And we've done this together with the scientific community and with some top climate and forest scientists, for example. And there are some, you know, voluntary standards that certify these projects, but we don't think they do a good enough job. So that's why we wanted to work with the scientific community to go beyond them. And we have uh, in the past two and a half years evaluated now over 170 of the top tier projects around the world and less than 10% of them pass our due diligence or our evaluation process. So that says a lot about the like quality on the market. But at the same time, there are good projects and, 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 and this pressure and maybe some media attention uh, that's uh, been put on the market. And, and for example, we do a lot of advocacy work to improve the standards on the market. I think we're moving forward. Uh, so it's, it's, I wouldn't say that the criticism should um, result in abandoning this mechanism, but rather we should take this criticism seriously mm -hmm. and work towards improving the market because there is no way we will reach our, our climate targets if we don't do two things at the same time, radically reduce emissions, but also take responsibility for those emissions we're still causing in the near future. And at some point, taking responsibility for historic emissions as well by going towards carbon negativity and actually reducing, removing more carbon from the atmosphere than we uh, add to it. So we need this market, we need this mechanism. It's just that the current market has some severe flaws and it's quite difficult for companies or individuals to navigate and try to understand what are the good projects and what are the bad projects. And this is why we do a lot of work uh, with media, with publishing reports and white papers, trying to educate also the buyers of these credits that you need to be vigilant and understand the complexities of the market and not maybe trust existing standards, but sort of dig deeper to understand what these projects actually do and what they don't. So how should we evaluate? I mean, if it is uh, a person from a company, they may not be certainly an expert on this, but hey, somebody's offering me, 
offering me this project to offset. But as you said, out of 170 projects that you have evaluated, less than 10% actually are at standard, are good. So how do I know if I am falling, if, if the project that is presented to me is one of those 10% or maybe the remaining 90% that who knows how they do it or who knows if, if they are real. I don't know if there's also a trust element. How do you evaluate that project is actually, and if, I mean, if you want to dig in, into technicalities, that, that, that's okay. So how do we evaluate these projects? Well, um, I would say if you don't have the expertise in-house as a company, you need to find a trusted partner who you can do that with. And obviously Compensate, mm -hmm. I hope, is one of those trusted partners. I would say that if you, like, sort of just um, basic rules is not to trust existing standards as a guarantee of quality. They might be a good starting point. There are some voluntary standards on the market like Vera and Gold Standard, etc. that maybe uh, provide the tools to dig deeper into the projects. They provide a lot of documentation and registries of the projects. But you need to find a part, if you don't have the in-house expertise to evaluate the projects deeper, find a partner that has that expertise and that you can trust. And a partner that's like communicates openly the risks evolved in this and also understands and doesn't sort of uh, hide behind existing standards and say that, hey, everything's fine when it actually is not. So I think transparency and honesty uh, from the partner in that sense will enable that trust. And, and that's exactly what we're trying to communicate. We're not saying that this is a bulletproof solution. There are many flaws on the market, but if you do things right, you can still uh, create real climate impact. I mean, there's no point in doing offsetting wrong. There's just no point. You're not actually, you, you're just removing carbon or creating climate impact on paper, but in reality, it's not doing anything. So um, for, for some companies, it might be like, they it, offsetting is like a tick in the box exercise that, hey, we have bought these credits and we're now fine. But in reality, there's no climate impact. So that's why if you're really driven by creating climate impact, you shouldn't treat this as a tick in the box exercise. Yeah, what I was saying exactly at the beginning is just for my own peace of mind, we tick the box, we did it, we paid, and we forget about the thing, and, and, and thank you, bye-bye. And uh, why in the other side, yeah, you may have paid, and but that is pretty much wasted. It's, it's not really making a true impact um, because what you said, all these projects may not be fully compliant. You mentioned some voluntary um standards i also found out something at the gold standard or gold seal something like that but those are voluntary you mentioned what does that mean or why why cannot or who should make them mandatory is there any authority of any sort yeah this is uh, still a very lightly or non-regulated market um so to kind of um because there isn't very little regulation, then these voluntary standards have kind of tried to um, be some kind of assurance of quality. Uh, you mentioned gold standard, that's the second biggest, and Verra is the biggest on the market, but there are like tens of probably a dozen others, smaller standards as well. So what they do is um, um, audit these projects and create like, um, make sure that the methodologies are in their opinion solid and, and so forth. But um 
I mean, they're a good starting point. And for us, they provide, for example, lots of documentation that we can review when we evaluate these projects. But uh, there are still, I mean, they are not a, an assurance of quality. Like we've seen that less than 10% of these projects are good enough for us. Um, so, yeah, they, I mean, there there is regulation now coming, uh, for example, just this week, the EU is introducing carbon removal certificates. There is a uh, EU is also uh, introducing a green claims initiative or uh, directive where where companies are like should be more transparent and accountable about the claims, climate claims that they make. Uh, there are various international initiatives. One in the Nordics creating the like guidelines for best practices. Uh, there's an international. Uh, initiative called the Integrity Council for the Voluntary Carbon Market that is trying to create what are called the core carbon principles, which would be like a overarching principle for good quality carbon credits. So there's a lot of things going on, and many of these are sort of soft law uh, approaches that hopefully then at some point also uh, become more like uh, uh, real laws in, in the EU and, and member states and around the world. So um, I think there's an acknowledgement that we need more regulate more. We need to regulate this market better because there's so much greenwashing going on. But maybe um, the regulators and politicians haven't yet realized how big this market might grow and how fastly we need to move ahead with that uh, necessary regulation. This is something that we advocate for and we work constantly with decision makers trying to open their eyes and, and make sure that they understand that, hey, they need to take take a more a proactive approach in regulating this market. Which is this Nordic uh, uh, certificate that you that you mentioned? Which is the name of it? Uh, so it's... this Nordic Council of Ministers has actually yesterday um, um, released the final report on the Nordic guidelines for best practices of the use of voluntary carbon offsetting. And, and, and it defines a lot of like key elements that make sure that companies can then kind of, it's like a checklist for companies also to make sure that when they venture into this market, they need to make sure that the credits that they buy comply with these best practices. And it also gives guidance on how to communicate things properly and transparently and how to get the claims like carbon neutrality, net zero offsetting, how to get these claims right, because it's not just word, like semantics, it actually matters what claims you make because they need to be, you know, truthful. So it's a, it's a very good uh, and welcome initiative for the Nordics at least. And I hope it also impacts the wider market more, more broadly. So how much of, of, uh, we want the politicians to be involved with this to some extent, of course, yes, because if they are the ones driving the, the legislative agenda or that we will have a framework, a legal framework to follow, but how much is sometimes driven by by the opportunity in the, in the uh, by the politicians i was following i'm sure i, I guess you were following also uh, what happened in sharm el sheikh recently in the cop 27 that was to my understanding there was some projects or some initiative um driven by politicians that was similar to this we have these projects with these initiatives that if you fund them um They will help you to offset your your carbon footprint, but I don't know if you, you follow uh, what they were saying. But that was kind of a big big deal that was announced in COP 27. 
Yeah, I was there for 27. I oh, there you go. Last, yeah. So it's this is now what the um, so the Paris Agreement and the whole COP mechanism, the UNFCCC, has only jurisdiction of so-called compliance carbon markets, so carbon trading between countries, basically, or through a, uh, a mechanism where countries can buy carbon credits in order to sort of offset their own national emissions. And um, so this, um, under the Paris Agreement, we have a thing called the Article 6, which sort of establishes the rules for this compliance carbon trading or this compliance carbon market. But that's a different market from where the market where companies operate. So companies operate in the voluntary carbon market because they have no compliance needs to offset their emissions. They do it purely on a voluntary basis to reach their climate targets that they've set out like carbon neutrality or net zero or some other targets that they may have. So they need to use these carbon credits in order to take responsibility for their emissions. But it's a separate market from what is, has been negotiated and agreed upon in the, uh, in, in COP26 and 27. In COP26 in Glasgow, I was there as well. The, um, the, the kind of, finally the, the sort of, ground rules for this compliance market was created. And now in Egypt, in COP27, uh, some of the details were, were agreed upon, but a lot of things were pushed to COP28 next year as well, because there was uh, disagreement on many of the, the more like technical issues. So these two things are, are slightly separate, but there is also uh, obviously the voluntary market will, if, if the rules and, and, and regulations around the compliance market are very robust and strong, they will obviously impact also the voluntary market. So that's why organizations like Compensate try to uh, be at these COPs, try to influence the decision makers there so that we get very good and robust rules for the compliance markets, because then we have, we can say that, okay, if these are the rules for, for um, uh, international compliance carbon market, we should also apply them for the voluntary market. So that's why it's important to be there uh, as well and try to impact that these negotiations. All right. So talk about a bit uh, the type of projects that you have been, actually a couple of things that would be interesting to dig deeper. The type of projects that you have evaluated and they do comply with all the quality and with all the certifications. And on the other side, what type of customers, I mean, or industries you are you are uh, or are more interested in this carbon offsetting. So first, the projects. Which type of projects are you considering that are good to 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 invest in? Yes. So we focus on what are called nature-based solutions. So basically, using uh, the the power of of nature, photosynthesis, and and the power of biomass to sequester carbon from the atmosphere, and the ability it has to store that carbon if if taken care of. Uh, properly. Um, there are all the other uh, approaches also, like more engineered approaches, but they are still in, I would say, very um, early phases and not scalable yet. So there is a lot of development going on into, for example, direct air capture with machines or, or, or other ways of capturing carbon, but they are still so small scale that they are not maybe the solution for today, but maybe in the 30s or 40s. Hopefully, they will be, have, have scaled. But with the urgency of the climate crisis, we need to make use of those um, mechanisms that we can scale already today. 
So we focus a lot on these nature-based carbon removal projects, which could be um, afforestation or reforestation or uh, restoring mangroves, for example, but also some more innovative solutions like growing kelp and, and sequestering a lot of carbon and then letting that kelp then sink to the bottom of the ocean where it's stored for a long time. So even in this nature-based space, there are some innovative solutions going on. And then one solution that we are very uh, fond of and, and have been uh, uh, using for a long time already is biochar, which is kind of in the middle of these engineered solutions and, and, and nature-based solutions where uh, we can use waste biomass, for example, from waste streams of different production um, and, and, and pyrolyze, pyrolyze that into biochar, which is a product that stores the carbon for a long, long time, even hundreds of years potentially. And that product can also be used uh, in many ways that are beneficial to the environment as a as it, for enriching soils, for example, or, or, or other other cases where it has like uh, benefits even beyond the storage of the carbon. So this is this is our focus area, because we think that um, these solutions that nature kind of offers us are, are the ones that should be scaled and can be scaled today. And what's really nice about these solutions often is that they also help us tackle the other huge crisis that we're facing, which is the loss of biodiversity. So we are in essence, letting nature be nature and, 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 and giving value to that by uh, producing carbon credits from, you know, it's so that it becomes, for example, more profitable to restore uh, nature than to destroy it. Uh, by creating value for that, uh, like service that the nature provides by sequestering and storing carbon, but also by more and more because of biodiversity issues and the way it preserves biodiversity or counters nature loss. So where are all these, pro I mean, geographically in the world, where are they located? Because you talk about biodiversity, of course, that I don't know, that immediately brings me the image of the, the Amazon forest, I don't know, or Southeast Asia uh, jungle, or where are these projects and, and how do we, or how do we ensure that? Well, they keep, not just they keep to up to the standard, but they continue. They have consistency and they don't, they don't drop the, the quality. So where, where they are, how do we ensure? Is there any mechanism to ensure that they keep well doing what they are saying they're doing? Yeah. So. In terms of the atmosphere, it doesn't matter where the projects are because the atmosphere is, we only have one atmosphere. And in terms of creating climate impact, you want to create the climate impact where it's most cost effective, right? So uh, quite often these projects, like for historical reasons, are in the global south where it, it might be more cost effective to take some of these measures. However, there is uh, a certain element of what is called like carbon colonialism there where because these uh, projects and carbon offsets are often bought by uh, companies or individuals in the global north. So the wealthy, wealthy people of the world. So uh, we need to be very uh, aware of that framing as well, so that it doesn't become a system where we just keep polluting and then we just buy these credits in order to, you know, uh, clean up after ourselves while we don't really work towards decarbonizing. So that's again, one reason why it's so essential to always prioritize emission reductions. Offsetting is never the one number one solution. It's like, you can see it as a as, as one tool in the toolbox. If you have a construction project, you're using, you know, tens or hundreds of tools 
to build your 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 construction or or your project and then at the end of the project you take out one tool to finish everything off and that's the way i see offsetting it's just one tool but it's an essential tool to finish the project but before that you need every other thing uh, uh in order to to do that so that's the same thing with the emission reductions in in comparison to the offsetting but at the same time good carbon projects actually support local communities give uh, uh them uh, uh for example livelihoods that are more sustainable they help these uh, many of these countries in the in the global south protect the biodiversity that is very valuable for them in many ways so um i think with by designing good projects and finding good projects we can tackle this sort of carbon colonialism criticism but i would hope that more and more projects are developed also in the global north so that we can kind of use local projects as well but there are some legislative issues especially in europe and north america that prevent this happening at the moment at large scale um but yeah that's the geography is basically can be all over the world we have projects at the moment in 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 latin america in africa in zambia for example in uh in tanzania kenya we have projects in in uh, in asia in uh, myanmar um indonesia etc some of the more sort of engineered projects that we have in our portfolio are in europe these biochar projects um because there is perhaps more sort of uh, innovation around them in europe but uh yeah i mean essentially these projects could be anywhere in the world but it from a cost effectiveness perspective it makes sense to do it where you get most impact for invested euro and that's why many of the projects have been designed and created in in, in the global south all right so and okay now in, in the other side uh what we call what you are calling the global north of well mm. the companies using this carbon offset or the industries which which industries or which type of company you see that is most interested at the moment and and which company should be maybe they are not now but should be more interested in your view yeah um it's actually a very very global market right now uh, where i don't really see like some industries doing more than others because it's like pretty much all industries are waking up to this um to this problem that they need to reach carbon neutrality or net zero quite soon and they don't have the means to do that exclusively by reducing emissions so they need to rely on these carbon markets and offsetting um lately we've seen a lot of um interest especially in like the construction industry because there are some hard to abate emissions in that sector traditionally we've seen airlines use carbon offsets but again there are very many issues there that where we see most airline uh services as as uh faulty uh one of the reasons is that they don't honestly uh calculate the uh, impact climate impact of flying they only usually uh use uh direct co2 emissions and they exclude the sort of non co2 impact of flying which can be three times as big as just the, the CO2 emissions so basically the thing you mentioned in the beginning that you were offered a service um probably the emissions of of that calculation that was made on the website was roughly one third of the true climate impact of flying so that's first of all very dishonest and 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 it's essentially greenwashing and even if you were to offset those emissions with the proper carbon credit 
you wouldn't have offset all emissions. You would have only offset a very small fraction of that. So there's a lot of things that need to be done on that side of things, sort of calculating and establishing that that the emission calculations have been done properly. But there I see less of a, I mean, the, the airline industry is, is a very uh, specific example of that. And I think in other industries, we are much more precise on on on, on the emission calculation, calculation side of things. Uh, but there are certain industries that are, are like hard to abate where it's very difficult to decarbonize in the near future. So they perhaps might see that this is an attractive way to take responsibility. But at the same time, then there are other companies who have the financial means to do this, like big tech companies who might not have a huge carbon footprint compared to manufacturing industries, for example, but they have the financial resources to do this. So we're also seeing many of them being quite active and sort of saying that, hey, we want to be front runners here and show that we can do this. So yeah, it's difficult to pinpoint a certain industry where this is more popular than others, because I see uh, this happening pretty much all over the place. But what has changed in recent years that like maybe three, four years ago, quite often offsetting was seen as something that consumers do. But now it has shifted almost completely so that companies are the ones that take responsibility and don't give that or sort of um, don't shift that responsibility towards the consumers. It's more the companies who want to do this themselves rather than providing a service like you were provided when you when you booked your flight. So uh, that's changing, uh, I think, quite dra dramatically right now. One key element that I'm realizing here is the how do we communicate all this all, all these processes and of course the transparency that should be in that in that mm -hmm. uh, uh, communication so that was something that you were referring uh, before so the way you research projects evaluate and report on them so transparency is one key thing but also for the companies purchasing these credits how do we how would you advise to then communicate over other than okay be clear which elements these companies can have to show the proof, hey, this is it, black and white, I am doing the, th the things in the right way. Yeah, I think, um, well, you need to start with transparency about the emissions, first of all, and how they have been calculated and, and determined. So, especially like um, if you're not offsetting all emissions, that should be communicated transparently. So quite often what I see is companies saying that they are carbon neutral or that they have offset their emissions, but it's actually, uh, they refer only to their direct emissions. So what are called scopes one and two, and they exclude value chain emissions, which is called scope three under the greenhouse gas protocol. And scope three, the value chain emissions, usually in most companies cases is where the large majority of their emissions lie. Um, and and uh, obviously there's some overlap in these scope three because someone's scope three is always someone else's scope one and two. Um, but, uh, but still, I think even if you are just uh, offsetting or claiming carbon neutrality, for example, for your direct emission scopes one and two, you should communicate that clearly so that, for example, as a consumer, if you walk into a, a supermarket and it says that we're carbon neutral, that consumer should understand it. It doesn't apply to the goods that are sold in that supermarket only towards the direct emissions of that market, like the purchased energy they purchase and the direct emissions that they cause. So this, this has to be very, very, very careful. So you can't use these like claims or labels to, to, um, 
confuse stakeholders or consumers. I think that's number one. Then when it comes to the other side of things, what type of projects are being used? I think, yeah, we need more transparency on that side as well. Uh, at least for those stakeholders and consumers who want to dig in deeper. Obviously, not everyone has the capability, maybe, or the, the willingness to do that. Uh, and they might kind of just trust some kind of standard or stamp. But for those who want to dig deeper, for those stakeholders, you need to be able to provide that extra link where you can read more or have that information at hand if, if someone requests it. But again, I think here it's, um, I think most of the buyers, buying companies have acted in good faith when they have bought some of these credits that have been verified by some of the leading voluntary standards. They have necess not necessarily understood that they should, you know, dig in deeper. So it's also the responsibility of the sellers of these carbon credits, like organizations like Compensate and, you know, our peers to be honest and, and, and not sell, you know, bad quality stuff. Uh, we can't completely rely on voluntary uh, actions here. That's why we need the politicians to step in and also regulate this market so that we can, you know, wash out some of the pure greenwashing that's going on and sort of make sure that everybody has a level playing field. But before we reach that, it's up to the market actors themselves to create this transparency, to create this trust uh, in the market. And I think, you know, there it's, uh, you need to just have high integrity and, and, and understand that the climate impact is always what we're trying to achieve here. Yeah, at the end of the day, integrity, transparency, um, commitment, commitment is, I mean, from both sides, uh, government and or governmental entities, and the and the private sector that they they really want to make this this happen. Um, something that called my attention from from Compensate is Compensate Foundation. What what is that? What is the Compensate Foundation? Yes, so we have uh, in essence two entities in the Compensate Group. We have a Compensate uh, Ltd, mm -hmm. a company that provides the offsetting services to other companies, for example advisory on those things, etc. But the foundation is a non-profit entity and it works on advocacy to improve the entire voluntary carbon market. So basically what we're trying to do is advocate for that necessary regulation, make sure that we put pressure on existing standards to improve. Um, we write, write white papers, go to these COP uh, uh, climate meetings, take part in different, uh, you know, industry and stakeholder consultation so that we try to improve the whole uh, integrity of the market. So I think with Compensate, we're not just trying to, we don't want to limit our impact on creating a service that we think is high integrity and that allows companies to actually use this market already today. But we also want to push the entire market forward. And that's why we have this kind of nonprofit arm of of our organization where we we actively do that and i think we've been able to reach some sort of thought leadership in this market already we've been uh highlighted in many like important medias like financial times bloomberg nikkei in japan etc that have sort of written about our reports and our white papers and and, and said that hey there's this organization in finland that says only 10 of these projects are good and then that media attention obviously then also puts pressure on market actors to improve. So that's something that we, we constantly do. 
Yeah, that's that's something as as you said, something that we need all to collaborate to raise the bar, to raise the awareness of of yeah. This is one option that is very valid that you as production company or manufacturing or or any type of for profit um, organization can can use, and which at the end of the day, yes, it's for the benefit of of our own Earth, of our own planet. Um, yeah, so this has been super, super interesting, Nicholas. So in your view, uh, who should we interview next in this, in this podcast that we can dig deeper mm. or, or widen this um, topic about carbon offsetting or actually doing any, any other uh, initiative for, for the good of our planet? Who should we interview? Um, I think one of the things um, that's been most impactful in the climate movement or, or sort of the raising climate awareness in recent years has been the youth climate movement. Um, the fact that young people are demanding that we, the older generations, actually um, take responsibility for the mess that we have caused. Uh, I don't want to name any, maybe any names here, but I think it would be great if you give that voice also to the younger generations that are, I mean, it's about their future, about the future of their future children, etc. And they have so much more at stake here. Obviously, myself as a parent, I have a lot at stake as well when I think about the future world that my children will be living in and perhaps their children. So it's it's very personal, I think, for anyone who's a parent. But um, I think when that message comes from our own children, it strikes close to home. And I think that's why I really like, I don't want to, it's our responsibility to clean up after us. It, we shouldn't uh, put that responsibility on our children. But what we can do is give them a voice and listen to them so that we actually wake up and understand that, hey, we've caused this mess. It's our duty to clean up after ourselves as well. Curiously enough, this is really the second time that we are hearing this in, in our okay. podcast. <laughs> Children are teaching us many things. Let's combat and listen to them because they may have a very different uh, perception of this world, but precisely because of that, they have very good, different ideas, a different perspective. So, Niklas, yeah. thank you very much for your time today. Please let our audience know where they can connect with you, where they can go to learn more about Compensate. Yes. So, yeah, obviously, easiest way is to go to our website, compensate.com, and, and learn more from there. And you can find our contact details, social media, etc. there. And, and, and uh, if you're really interested in learning, the taking a deep dive, please have a look at our white papers about the uh, voluntary carbon market and how we think it should be reformed. But Thank you also for, for inviting me to this podcast. It was a pleasure to be here. And uh, I hope the listeners also enjoyed this. So thank you on my, my behalf as well. Definitely, we will put some links to your website and to all, all those white papers in the show notes of this episode. So people can just click there and go and learn more about compensate. Yes, but about carbon, carbon offsetting and which are the possibilities there. So other than that, Thank you so much, Urbanistas, for listening today, and see you the next time. Thank you for listening to the Urbanista podcast. 
a production of Upono Infra, the leader in sustainable infrastructure solutions. If you found it interesting, why don't you share it with your colleagues? We all together can move our industry forward.